Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, he says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you will work, but the seventh day is a day of rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember as a, uh, I'm still young enough, I can remember as a kid, <laughs> that when we would talk about the Sabbath and Sunday, really what that was, and my whole concept was rather different of what Sundays were. Um, I mean, is Sunday really the Sabbath after all? If it's a day of rest, then why do we work so hard to get there? Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. <laughs> If nobody works on Sunday, then how are we going to go out and eat this afternoon? Somebody's got to work to cook it. Somebody's got to serve it. Some, you know, all that stuff. Did anybody think that way when you were a kid? Why do people go to Saturday church? Don't they know what Sunday's for? <laughs> now you know what my parents went through. I would ask questions like this. My dad would just look at me. My mom would say, all around. Another one of those questions. (laughs) Today we're beginning a series called The Seven Shadows, which in this series we're going to explore the truths of the festivals and the feast of the Lord, and we're going to talk about the Sabbath rest this morning. When God established the law and established these feasts, he was establishing something uh, that would present elements and, and themes to all of us even today. One of those things, he was calling his people, the people of Israel, to himself. Through these feasts, you're going to see each week that he was, there's a theme there. He's calling his own to himself. He's also talking about a shadow of things to come. In Hebrews chapter 10 and 1, he says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's coming. And then another principle, he says, it all points to Christ from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I like that translation, NIV. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Let me read for you Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore take every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let everyone make an effort to enter into that rest. The Sabbath rest is a missing element in our world. It's a missing element even among the people of God. Joy and peace and this dynamic that we call rest is something that is lacking. 
It's lacking in a world where people are just like the people of Israel. We've come to the edge of the promised land. We're so excited about what's over there, but we are so afraid because there are high walls and what we think are giants on the other side to keep us from receiving what God has planned for us. So we get right to the edge and and we back off. We're, we're, We're fearful. We're at the edge of greatness because we're afraid to enter into what God calls his rest. So let's look at this rest. This rest began in creation. In creation, God created all that was and is in six days. Now, that just blows my mind that he did all of that in six days. It was all complete, fully made. Can you imagine walking in the garden, and there it is. There's a tree. It's not just a little thing coming out of the ground, but it's a whole tree. It's got all of its branches, all of its leaves. It's got everything it needs. It even, if you were to cut it, I believe you would even see the rings inside that tree. How does that happen? Because we know the rings tell how old it is. Isn't that what science tells us? But I believe when God said he created it all, it was complete. And he did it in six days. Adam, he created Adam, and Adam didn't have to learn to walk. He just took a deep breath and stood up and starts walking. He didn't know what it was to be a baby. He didn't know what it was to crawl. Can you imagine that when he starts having kids? Well, I'm not sure how to relate this, but just get up. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't been there, son. (laughs) Six days. God created all of this in six days, and then like an artist who just finished his masterpiece, he steps back, lays his brush down, and he goes, it is good. (laughs) Maybe not in that tone, I don't know. I don't know what God sounds like, so I can't mimic that voice. But he stepped back and he said, it is good. Wow, it is complete. <sighs> Isn't that what we do when we, we kind of step back and look at something we've done? We go, oh, yeah. I don't know, maybe he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's my translation. <laughs> but he stepped back and he said, it is good. It is complete. There's nothing that could be added to it. God did everything and created everything in creation for man. But notice he created creation first and then man last. No wonder. If he'd have created man first and then started on creation, man would be trying to help him do it. Now, God, if I was doing that, I'd be doing it this way, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you've got this big animal here with this long neck. I mean, what is that about? <laughs> you got these funny-looking dots. They don't even match the same dots that you put on that cat over there. I mean, what is this? Can you imagine? Isn't that way man is? We get so caught up in how we think we can do it that we can do it better and we want to help God out. Thank goodness He did creation first, <laughs> created the world and all of that, and then created man. Man just gets in the way. All man had to do was just rest in God because God had provided all of it. God, it's as if God said to Adam, I've done it for you. Here it is. Just take and receive. Whoo! Get that one. That's another sermon. but Just take it and receive it. And then say thank you. That's where worship began. See, what we've been doing here this morning with praise and worship, is we're learning the process of how to thank God and receive what he has already done for us and then worship him. Be thankful for what he has done. There was no hard work in it. Just 
Just receive the fruit, Adam. That's, that's not hard work. God had entered into a rest himself, and he stepped back and he said, it is good, it is complete, it is finished. Now just rest in it, Adam. Your whole life is designed for rest. All you got to do is just be satisfied with what I have given you and provided for you. If God could step back and say, it is good, I'm satisfied, why cannot man step back and say, hey, it's good, God. Rest versus no work. I mean, did Adam really work? (laughs) Adam's only work was, first of all, to just take and receive from God. That's work. Genesis 1.8, God said, be fruitful and multiply. I'll just let you dwell on that one. That's work. Man, (laughs) Genesis 1.28, he also says, rule over the fish, the birds, every living creature. That's management. Okay, I got a cover for you, Adam. You're going to work a little. See, Adam did work. But your work is going to be management. You rule, you reign. See, he's kind of got that in store for the future. (laughs) Adam's work also in Genesis 2.15, he said, Adam, he's placed him there to work, to dress, and keep the garden. How many gardeners we got out there? (laughs) Yeah, anybody have a garden? I'm not good at gardening. But he said, all you've got to do is rest in it. I don't understand how, but somehow the ground, even the animals, everything was in subject to Adam because he ruled over them. Everything was there. He didn't have to work at it. It was there. His only work was management. God rested in his work. Adam is now to rest in God's work. Rest in his rest. He didn't have to struggle over whether things were going to grow. He didn't have to struggle over how it was going to happen. He just had to manage it. Just receive it. Do you know, here, here's another picture. God gave all this to Adam, and he said, now just take care of it. Just use it. This is going to get you in a second. You know, I get so, ex- so excited as a dad and now as a pop. <laughs> That's what my little grandson calls me. Pops? <laughs> I get excited when you give them something. And they take it, and they begin to use it. And what do y'all do? I gave it to him. (laughs) You receive so much joy from what you gave them as you see them begin to use it. Are you getting this picture? God said, I've created all of this for you. There is a rest in what I have given you. Just take it and use it and rest in it. And when we do that, he receives the glory. He is honored. He steps back and says, wow, man, isn't this great? Look what my kids are doing. All because of what I've given them. And then came the fall, sin. Sin came in, given into the persuasion of, of the enemy, the devil. And man began to be deceived in believing that we can do it ourselves. We're smart. We're, we're creative, aren't we? I mean, I don't need God in all these things. I can do it myself. Who says I have to live this way? Who says I have to do it that particular way? I can do it on my own. I'm a self-made man. Anybody ever heard that? I don't need God. I don't care how big you are. 
the biggest dude, step him up here, let me punch him in the gut, knock the breath out of him that God gave him, and let me see how long he can make it without God's breath. Oh, see, that sounds a little aggressive. Gets the point. <laughs> we, we cannot make it on our own. Even the very breath we have comes from God. But the result of trying to live without God and doing these things on our own, on our own creates then a characteristic that began right then and has been all through time. Instead of rest, there is restlessness. We become restless. Let's look at the restlessness of man. There is no rest outside of God, our creator. And man becomes restless. Man will never be satisfied with what he himself has done. You're never satisfied with what you do, are you? We're always looking for how we can improve it, how we can change it. Oh, well, I should have done it this way. I should have done the other. There's always something that's missing. We can never quite achieve and reach where we want. We find mistakes in all that we do. Before the fall, Adam didn't have to work, but now he begins to have to sweat. Genesis 3, 19 says, By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. If you had just received and, and enjoyed what I had given you. But man became restless and tried to do things on his own and listened to how he could be as creative as God. He could be like God, the Scripture tells us. Before sin, all creation obeyed God. After sin, all creation resisted God. There's no more ruling over the animals. You ever seen a man rule or reign over the lions of the forest? Well, we think we're training them until one of them gets loose. <laughs> Before sin, God says, don't sweat it. I got it. Just, just manage it. After sin, man has to sweat it out. God supplied the garden. Now man has to do everything to try to keep it going. The sweating of your brow is only an outward manifestation of the struggle that's going on in the inside of you to accomplish something on the outside. Did you get that? Tension headaches, ulcers, heart problems, addiction to drugs and food, and a long list of disorders are often connected to the genetics that are passed down to us from Adam and this restlessness. See, I even struggle with, with things in the flesh and in my body because I am restless. You get an extra hour of sleep, but you can't sleep. What is that about? <laughs> it's created this restlessness in us. We're stirring and striving over things constantly in our mind and in our spirits. See, away from God, there is no peace. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 tells us, The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. Away from God, you will sweat at it. Sin is hard work. Well, I don't know what happened, officer. I, don't, I just don't understand it. Uh, next thing I knew, I was coming around this curve, and there's this tree. <laughs> see, I've heard those stories. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's, let's back it up. You worked hard all week to get money so you could go and buy a bunch of alcohol. Hard work. Then you took that, and you worked hard at drinking a lot of it until you got sick. That's work. Until suddenly you ran off the road and you couldn't control it and you ran into a tree and you don't know how it happened. 
And I could go on with a list of things that, that we say. You see, sin is hard work. You have to work at it to get in some of the messes we get into. <laughs> see, it's not a whole lot of amens. But I've been there. <laughs> it's hard work. The way of the transgressor is hard, it says in Proverbs. Because man has been stirring and striving and struggling with this restlessness ever since he came out of the garden. So then God says, all right, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to create some festivals and some feasts and some order to help you with this rest. So we see in the Old Testament that God began to structure their worship, structure things that would help them. And so don't have time to get in all the history But that's what all these things overhead are here for. Each one is a different symbol for the different feasts. And he begins with the Sabbath, and he says there's going to be a Sabbath day of rest to celebrate and commemorate the rest that God gave as God rested on the seventh day. I don't really think God was tired from all the struggle in creating. (laughs) But he was supplying for us, saying, "I, I have given to you. It is complete. That's what he's saying. And he said, I'm going to help you. And he begins to establish these structures of rest in the Old Testament. The seventh day was a day of rest. On the seventh year, there was a sabbatical year of rest. The crop field was rested. You could take a year off. (laughs) Some of you already be going, wow, can we do that again? (laughs) And then the 70th, that's hard to say, year, There was a year of jubilee where the property was returned. Slaves were set free. This thing of seven and rest all started with God in the beginning. Seven became known as a sign or the number of completion. It was a perfect number. That's what we call it. God is saying to the world through Israel and through these feasts, I want you to learn to rest in me because I have given it all. You are complete in me. If you'll look to me and rest in me, you will be complete. Now, in in the natural, here's what the Sabbath kind of would look like. It would start on Friday at 6 p.m. sundown and go until Saturday at 6 p.m., 24 hours. They would meet in homes, not in a church. They would meet in homes because the tabernacle is for sacrifices. It's kind of what we do with life groups and embrace groups. We meet in homes. It's scriptural. Hallelujah. And all the life group leaders said. They would meet and they would worship. They would read the law of the Old Testament. They would celebrate what God had done and provided for them. And they would offer offerings during this time of celebration in their homes. They would, all of this was a part of their worship. The beginning of all the feasts. He says during this time when they met in those homes, they would say to one another, remember the God of creation. Remember the exodus and how he brought us out of bondage. Remember that God provided all things and they would worship and they would rest in that remembrance and in that worship. The Sabbath also became a sign to all the people around them and the world around them. The time that they took and rested in God, that action became a sign to people. Man, can can you believe what those people are doing? They take a whole day off, and there's, there's work to be done, you know. They're not worried about how it's going to pan out, how their, their needs are going to be supplied, because God's people begin to say, we're resting in Him to supply our every need. 
How can you take a year off back then? Because God supplied their need and gave them double portion in the year before they took off. He said, learn to rest in me. I will provide just like I provided in the desert. I'm going to provide for you. Remember when they were going through the desert and they were, you know, complaining about not having something to eat? What did God do? Gave them manna. Moses said, now just take what you need. Don't get too carried away. Just take what you need. But how many know the story? They didn't listen. They took more. They tried to store it up, and it began to stink, and worms got in it. He said, don't do that. (laughs) They had to throw it out. On the sixth day, he then said, take what you need for tomorrow, for that Sabbath. And God gave them enough because when they got up on the seventh day, no manna. It was all to teach them that they could depend on God. They could rest in him. The principle is, if you obey me, if you follow me, I will provide for you. It's okay to save for the future. I'm not saying don't have a savings, retirement fund, all those things. But we have to learn to rest in God and know that he is our provider. He will take care of us. And when you try to store it up on your own and try to do it on your own, I got news for you. Worms are going to come out of nowhere, eat it up, and it's going to stink. (laughs) Recognize that he is our provider. Begin to learn this rest that he established in the Sabbath rest. He said, take of me, receive of me. God is illustrating to all of them, I have taken care of you. The Sabbath was a, it was a celebration. Now, here's another, here's another facet of that celebration. Not only were they pro- celebrating what God had provided for them, but God was taking them out of their bondage. He was delivering them out of a cultural influence that had affected their entire life. Let's be real. They were not so spiritual that God said, i got to get them out of here. Now, sometimes we think that way. But as you begin to read the story and you read things about their life, even as they were coming out, their life was deeply influenced. God was also trying to get them out of where they were and out of their surroundings because they had become so deeply influenced by the world in which they lived. They probably talked like the Egyptians. Can you imagine being in bondage 400 years? We're not talking a week. For years, all they had known was being in bondage. They're in this culture that surrounds them. They're trying to maintain their own, but they are surrounded by Egyptians. And they begin to take on that culture. They probably talk like them, change their accent. They say, if you're here in the South long enough, you'll lose your foreign accents. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> I can imagine they begin to talk like it. They probably smell like Egyptians. All the garlic and different foods and stuff that were around there. <laughs> they begin to worship idols. Now, where did you get that from, Laurel? Well, let's, let's look at it. What happened to them when they were in the the desert? Moses said, I'll be back in a little while. I want to talk to God. And no sooner had he left, and they think, well, you know, he's he's getting a little late getting back here. (sighs) So much for that. We'll just start our own church. We'll just start our own worship. And they worshiped and formed an idol out of gold. Where did all the gold come from? Back in Egypt, 
They took the gold. They took a bunch of stuff with them. And so all of a sudden, here they are out there, and they begin to craft and mold this calf made out of gold. They had never worshipped a calf before. They knew no other God but God Jehovah. And now here they are forming an idol from what? From their culture, their surroundings that they had been around too long. we got to be careful. They probably dress like them. I don't know. Just a thought. You think any of the Israelites had uh, debates with their teenagers over what they were wearing? Now, you're looking a little bit too much like those Egyptians. <laughs> Listen, I, I just think that way. I don't know. 400 years, and this outside culture was squeezing them in, and God was, when he said, let my people go that they may worship me, it wasn't as much a spiritual thing to me. This is just LSV. That's Laurel Strickland version. It wasn't so much that they were spiritual and said, I'm going to get him out, but I've got to get him out of that pagan situation. Because it's affecting their worship. Let my people go that they may worship me, not some golden calf that's going to come later. Not all these other things that are influencing their life. They grumbled and complained. They started out. God said, remember me. Remember, I have provided all these things. And now they're in the desert complaining about everything. Everything. They complained about not having food. God gave them food. They didn't have water. He gave them water. They were grumbling and, and about every, every time you turn around. But just think, guys, this was just the grumblings that was recorded. <laughs> I imagine in their own little small groups, there was a lot of complaining going on. But we don't have that in our small groups. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> the Sabbath feast. God was establishing Israel, for Israel, a celebration, an observance of rest. This was a time to remember and be thankful. Remember and worship. The seventh day, the seventh year, the seventieth year, all of these things, God has provided it all. So we ask the question, do we keep the Sabbath today? No. That was pretty easy. <laughs> but here's why. Again, Colossians chapter 2, there is rest in Christ. Colossians 2, 9 through 17, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And having been buried with him in baptism, we saw it in the announcements earlier, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead... In your sins, in your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled, I love that word, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Man, this is some powerful word. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you for what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come because the reality, however, is in Christ. It's in Christ. This is the rest, he said, that I ultimately have supplied for you because now Christ has come. 
He has become the substance of our Sabbath. He has become the substance of our celebration, of our worship. Christ has come. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I don't have to go through all the rituals and all the the form because Christ is now the fulfillment of that. God said, it is good. And Jesus said, it is finished. What a comparison. Can't help it. I get a little excited sometimes. But from the very beginning, God said, it is good. Jesus was proclaiming that again, just using different words. It's finished. It's good. It's complete. What else can you do to add to it? The cross and the resurrection was Jesus' masterpiece. That's when he laid his brush down and said, it's finished. There's not, else, not anything else you can do. You know, the Mona Lisa is one of the most famous paintings in all time. But walk into that museum or wherever it's hanging, Take your brush and say, just a minute, folks, I'm, I, I want to change something right here. I, I like this a little better. What immediately happens to it? It loses all value when you try to change it. <laughs> what else can we do to find rest except find it in Jesus Christ because he has done it all? There's nothing we can add to that work. There's nothing we can add to it. We try on our own. He's provided it all. You can't improve on it, so don't sweat it. Rest in it. You can't be good enough. You can't say enough prayers. You can't give enough in the offering. There's nothing you can do to change what God has already given and what Christ is trying to give to us in this rest. After Jesus said it is finished, the scripture tells us he sat down at the right hand of God. Who? Oh, yeah. Can't quite say it the old way. <laughs> you know what our problem is? We have not accepted what God gave, received what Jesus did. So we keep trying to do it, and we say, well, I don't know. I've got to get this straight, and I've got to do this. And, and you know, Jesus can't love me because all the... It's it's as if we're trying to get Jesus to get up out of the chair, out of the right hand of God, and do something again. Get that picture. You can't change it. Some of you have beaten yourself up and said, well, I need to do this, and, and I need to get to this point. You can't. You can't improve on it. You can't do enough. I died for you. I forgive you. Quit sweating it. My Father has provided He gave me, Jesus says. It's all in Christ. So, so, you either have rest or you're restless. You either have rest or you're restless. Some of you are in a restless struggle of sin, trying to find peace and trying to be good enough, and you can't. I want to encourage you to rest in what he has done. We've, we've memorized the scripture. We've said it may have been the first scripture you ever thought of or memorized, but it's John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved that he gave. A principle that he started in creation, he loved and he gave. Man, all that he needed. And then he gave his son. 
God so loved that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in who? Christ. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, he says, but through him that the world might be saved. You see, repentance is the accepting of what God gave and the receiving of what God did. Wow. That's how you enter into your rest in Christ. Some of you are restless today because you have a restless concern over how you're going to make it. Is God going to provide for me? And I say, yes, he's going to provide. He did in the beginning. He will continue to the end. Another scripture we're familiar with in Matthew 6. Beginning with 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. In other words, don't sweat about your life, what you will eat to drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not your life more than food? Is not your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store up in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, Add a single hour to your life. That's a scripture, guys. You're wrestling with, is God going to provide for me? And he says, hey, can you add a single hour to your life today? Don't worry about your clothes and all of this stuff. He says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? (laughs) So what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All this restlessness going on, he says, for the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. If you're struggling this morning, you're restless over how God is going to provide, don't sweat it. He knows. He says all of these things will be given how? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. What a promise. Restless. Yeah, some of us today are restless over concerns of the world. We watch the news and things falling apart, and we're not sure how it's all going to work out. How are we going to survive in this world? Don't be restless over the world, but rather rest in the overcomer of the world. I have told you these things so that in me, he said, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Just buckle down and get ready. (laughs) You're going to have trouble. I'd panic if that's all he said. But then I love it. He says, but take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. (laughs) Some of us are rest, or we either have rest or you're restless this morning because you're concerned 
about a variety of things, and we can make a long list here of things that aren't even related to you. Now, just take an ex- just take an, an exam for a second here. Sometimes we get so caught up and we become restless over concerns that are not ours. We're worried about somebody else and what they're doing and where they're going and how they're doing it. Well, I just don't understand. I don't know how they're going to make it. And we go on and on and on with this long list of restlessness. Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. An announcement. If you're carrying a heavy burden, it ain't his. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So what are you carrying this morning? What are you carrying? There's a lot of deep truths in in all these festivals, and the pastor's going to get more into them. But when he begins, he begins by saying, enter into my rest first. And you don't have to wait till you come to the day that we call the Sabbath on Sunday. This rest is to be found anytime you need it because it's not found in a day. It's found in Christ. Are you restless or do you need rest? How do we find rest? A simple principle from the beginning. Remember what God has given you. Remember where he brought you from and worship him. And last, where we began, Hebrews 4, 9, 10, and 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for his people. Stand with me. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters into God's rest also rests from their works as God did. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with any of those elements of restlessness, whether it be the world, whether it's sin you've been struggling with, wondering if God's going to provide, or you're just restless over a list of things you can't even keep track of. Today, you can find rest in Him. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.